right now we are seeing the curve, which is uh, accelerating change, and we're living in a much different way than our grandparents or our great-grandparents were living. Mm-hmm. Uh, our connection from food is getting further and further away. Our connection from the land is getting further and further away. And our connection from our bodies is as far away as it's ever been. Yeah. I think spending a lot of time in the wilderness and spending time moving your body can reinstill some of those values. I don't think that everyone needs to you know, sell all their stuff and move to the woods and build a log cabin. I just think that learning these skills and practicing some of the more ancestral techniques uh, that I'm a fan of, I think some of those can really help reinstill that relationship. Welcome to the Zero Quit Podcast, where we bring you inside the minds of elite athletes, business owners, specialists, and other creatives. I'm your host, Brock Covington, and through these conversations, you'll hear practical advice and effective strategies for optimizing not only your performance, but also your habits and routines as well. If you enjoy the show, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the podcast today. I have the pleasure of having on Ryan McGuire. He is a hybrid athlete of all sorts, high rocks, ultra running, you name it, he's probably doing it. He's also the owner of Wild Ride Outdoors, host of the Who the Wild Things Are podcast, just an overall outdoors enthusiast, a man of the land, as I once commented. How you doing, man? Doing well. Yeah, I'm glad that we could make this happen. Yeah. And uh, happy to have you. Yeah, of course. And, and I, I want to kick things off with the question, me and Jake, before this, you know, our, our friend Jake Bollier, I was asking him, you know, we're both very interested in how you got into survival wilderness outdoors all the things that you do and your expertise and you know the stuff that you're into what i guess kickstarted that did you have like a family member that was very into it were you always into this as a child or what kind of kicked off that kind of you know survival preparedness type of passion yeah so i guess i would throw in a caveat yeah on the word expertise i am by no means an expert self-taught yeah i am an expert of nothing well i, I saw uh, <laughs> that to interject you i saw the funniest uh, instagram reel yesterday that made me laugh it was uh it was like this guy uh he's posing as a self-taught navy seal and it was like it was like those guys that you know they have all the artillery but they've never served you know in the military right. and uh you know anyway carry on that yeah i mean i <laughs> I'm not an expert. I just, yeah. uh, I enjoy the outdoors. I, I think as a, from a young age, I was kind of a barefoot Creek kid. Yeah. I was obsessed with fishing and hanging out in the woods and also sports. Yeah. Uh, I think those things come and go from your life as you have other passions or you're told to go in other directions. Yeah. And I experienced some of that coming to and from, uh, priority being the woods. Mm-hmm. And as I got older and older, I just really focused on my craft more and more. My craft being learning about native plants, uh, tracking animals, uh, figuring out how I could stay in the backcountry for a long time. So I've, you know, trained under some amazing mentors and had the opportunity from to learn from them, but also just done a lot of really crazy solo stuff. And a lot of the learning comes from cold Dealing. nights alone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It sounds like it comes from a place of uh, interest and self-sufficiency and, mm. and being capable of, okay, you know, being able to take care of yourself in the outdoors or knowing, like you mentioned, like, okay, what, what berries you can eat, how to start a fire, how to take care of yourself, protect yourself, um, literally live on the land. And that, you know, could involve some kind of more modern technology or, or, or farming and things like that as well but is that like how do you view self-sufficiency and the importance of it in an age that's very full of modern conveniences and comforts yeah i think that's a great question and there's different contexts for survival right there's survival in the military sense where it's really about getting safe and getting out of a situation yeah and then there's kind of the school of thought which is more naturalist school of thought which is this wilderness living Uh, And that's kind of the bucket I consider myself more interested in, which is living with the land, living close to the land and kind of a reciprocal relationship where you're caretaking on the land and you're also getting resources from the land. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of uh, one book I've read in the past. It was, uh, I'm going to butcher the name, it was by John Locke. It was, I think, his second treatise on government. But one thing he was talking about, you know, when it connects to the U.S. Constitution, the founding fathers, when they were looking at uh, 
you know, what, what, what clarifies this property, what classifies this property. And one thing that like was written in there and it, it was in Locke as well as I think Hume or even in uh, Thomas Hobbes work was they had this distinction of you, you could only have as much land or property as you could make use of, or that you could, you know, sow on or, or, you know, uh, make fertile or make use of basically. So it kind of, you know, reminds me of this mutual beneficial or yeah, mutual, um, beneficial relationship going on where you know the land is, is supporting you but you're maintaining it enriching it um, in that sense so I, how I'm kind of interpreting what you're saying is okay you still have okay you're, you're not living in the land per se but you're you're kind of coinciding with it right so like you're cultivating the land but you're still living in your house is that kind of like more more accurate is what you're saying yeah I mean I've had different stages of life yeah uh ones where i've lived in the bush you know full time or uh traveling nomadically or yeah. living in a house and i think in all of those you know the spirit is the same yeah. for me it's always about living a life as naturalistic as possible so yeah. that comes that comes full circle so part of that is the personal health and wellness yeah. Uh, living close to the land is a big part of that. And also just like the, the mindfulness of that practice, which living a naturalistic lifestyle, I have a surprise for you. Everyone at home, Brock yeah. does not know what I'm about to do. He's getting a little worried. You ready? You ready? I'm ready. Okay. Now, if you are feeling interested, this is oh, part of... I thought of... it was going to be a cockroach. I no. was going <laughs> to like leave the room. For those of you that are just listening, he brought a... Uh brought out a little what do you call it like in a glass bowl or, or jar or whatever and I don't, I don't know what's in it do you have a guess uh is it like raw like liver this is raw liver yeah Damn. so it's the uh it's nature's the, multivitamin the most nutrient dense right you interested i'm interested all right let's do this are we doing uh, some liver king action yeah it's kind of liver king action but yeah. you don't have to bite it straight out of the cow you know like that guy does but this stuff i actually don't think it tastes as bad raw as everyone acts like it does yeah. it's really not bad uh but it is super good for you and this is another way you can live close <laughs> to the land so It's not too bad. It's kind of like a wet worm. Mm-hmm. I actually think it tastes worse cooked, which is... A little dog foodish. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think... I don't know. <laughs> but for all the nutrients, I think it's a good swap. Yeah. I'd rather take this than... Um, no sh no uh, shame on anyone, but athletic greens or you know some more artificial you know, supplement, right? Yeah, get it, sure. Get it from the source. Yeah, you, you wash that down with some diner coffee, you're good to yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually very impressed and proud that you just came up to the challenge and did that. What did you think I was going to do? I don't know. I thought you were <laughs> going to see it and be like, no way. No, I, I think some people maybe are that way, but I, I feel like the older I've gotten, the more open-minded I've been with a lot of things, whether it be, you know, breath work or uh, spiritual practices or... Uh, more primitive things or barefoot shoes. All those are very different, but all those can be uh, very, they can have very dogmatic people and views at the same time. And I think I'm, I'm kind of like of the mind of, you know, don't, don't turn nothing down or what, what is like the phrase, don't turn nothing down, but your collar, you know? Okay. And, and so it's like, I'll try anything basically is what I'm getting at. You just named like all the things that I'm interested in. Barefoot, breath work. <laughs> That's yeah. Basically well, if liver. you like breath work, um, maybe I can connect you with Jill Miller. I don't know if you saw the podcast I did recently with her, but um, I knew her through. She she's been in the fitness space for like three, four decades, doing primarily mobility and yoga and just this kind of holistic view of of fitness and and treating um, stress and pain in that way and through movement. And she has the the best, I'd argue, like easily the best mobility like what tool and instead of like you know a lot of people roll out with a lacrosse ball mm -hmm. she'll use she she created this thing called a tune-up ball or i think their th therapy balls her brand is tune-up fitness but they're harder than a tennis ball but softer than a lacrosse ball they come in multiple sizes does it look like this kind of but it's different <laughs> it's different and uh but anyway it's phenomenal trigger points what i'm getting to is she recently came out of the book body by breath um it comes out i think in like a few days but um phenomenal like insight into all the intricacies of breath mm -hmm. and you know again with you know we've both done a bunch of uh, cold exposure and that you know breath is a lot of times intertwined with that and maintaining you know your 
your uh what you call it your heart rate your breathing pattern all of that um we're kind of rambling but centering things back to uh back to living in a, in a more primal a primal way you know what is your view on that because I, I know in your bio you have ancestral survival mm -hmm. what does that term mean to you and how does that kind of tie to an idea of returning to a more primitive way of living or incorporating more primitive behaviors into our current way of living yeah uh i think it speaks to the recipe that's proven uh, i think right now we are seeing the curve which is uh accelerating change and we're living in a much different way than our grandparents or our great grandparents were living mm -hmm. uh, our connection from food is getting further and further away our connection from the land is getting further and further away and our connection from our bodies is as far away as it's ever been yeah i think spending a lot of time in the wilderness and spending time moving your body can reinstill some of those values i don't think that everyone needs to you know sell all their stuff and yeah. move to the <laughs> woods and build a log cabin yeah i just think that learning these skills and practicing some of the more ancestral techniques uh, that i'm a fan of i think some of those can really help reinstill that relationship and you know there's there's different folks who do it different ways, right? Yeah. There's like the, the liver king stuff where he like <laughs> takes it to this nth degree yeah. and it's all like wild and kind of boisterous. Yeah. But I think there's a whole nother community that is less spoken for. Yeah. Which is so, more interested in like a naturalist lifestyle, yeah. learning plants, uh, learning about your circadian rhythm and how it functions when you're living outside yeah. and l moving long distances using nothing but your feet. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I think that's it's important. So I really like that you mentioned because I'm sure most people would listen to that idea of the food being further from us and be like, well, wait a minute. I mean, I can door dash my groceries, but it's not about the convenience factor. It's the aspect of, you know, from farm to mouth kind of, you know, it, it's it's the idea of, okay, this food is, is, you know, you're not even seeing where the meat's coming from. You're not seeing, you know, where the food is, is originating from and it's going through these different processes and, uh, you know, it's getting all these additives and added sugars and we're not getting as much whole foods. And, and another thing you pointed out, I think perfectly was a lot of the tools we need to thrive to live our best life are, are in us or that are outside, you know, movement is one of those things that whether we're working in a very sedentary job or just, you know, a lot of people kind of look at exercise as torture and it's really unfortunate that that's kind of been a lot of people's perception or that working out is considered like a hobby or activity and not movement isn't considered like part of our lifestyle and our, our, our daily activities because it, it does so much for us for our stress relief rather than, I mean, you wonder, there's so many factors I'm sure that increase stress and anxiety for people, but, you know, just getting movement, uh, can be a great alleviator can be a great way to increase dopamine increase happiness you know you can control a lot of things um bodily through just more activity mm -hmm. and then same thing with like sunlight just getting more sunlight vitamin d like we're, we are stripping ourselves of free tools whether it be movement or healthy food or sunlight vitamin d for our immune system like there's so many things i feel like that are natural to us that we're limiting ourselves yeah and i think bouncing back to the movement piece yeah the reason for a lot of people that the high octane movement feels like torture mm -hmm. in my opinion would be they don't have a strong why yeah for me i didn't like running never did and then i i made two changes i developed a why and i changed my footwear I went with a much more minimalist footwear. I started running in a sandal called Earth Runners or just running barefoot. And then I figured out prior to that my why, which was the reason I wanted to run was to get further in the backcountry than everybody else. I had tried hiking with all this like maximalist gear, like the big backpack, and I felt like I was just walking through nature and my mind was focused on this burden behind me. Yeah. And I wasn't really able to appreciate everything around me so then once i stripped all that out i took you know just a cloth and a knife and a water bottle and ran into the woods basically barefoot and shirtless yeah. i found that i was able to appreciate everything a lot more because my focus my focus yeah. wasn't here my focus was now to the external world about what i was seeing around me yeah i like that point on the why because i think that is where a lot of people slip up because they're doing it a lot of times for 
external reasons rather than internal and, and reflecting on, you know, what is your purpose? Because I think you come from it from a very interesting perspective of trying to get further in the backcountry. It'd be like the last thing I'm thinking about, you know, right. uh, I'm definitely looking at it because I'm in the same way. Like I, I kind of analyze, okay, why do I enjoy the running? Because I was thinking about this on a recent run was like the act of it. I don't really enjoy, but it's that feeling of specifically trail running gives you this kind of this excuse to explore a lot more than you normally would go on, especially like these races, go on these wild trails, these interesting adventures that you wouldn't normally just go on on yourself or you couldn't do because they don't have, you know, either you don't have permission to go on the trail, you don't have the aid stations available. Um, and so it's, it's a good chance to kind of, again, assess what is your purpose for doing it and making sure it's not just a short term purpose and it's like a bigger term vision. And then the other thing I, I want to ask you about is, so you run in uh, barefoot shoes. Mm-hmm. How ha- has that been like an abrupt change that you've made or, or what, cause we were talking about before this, you, you have like a current like foot injury you're working with. Mm-hmm. Do you attribute that to the change or have you had issues in the past with the more over cushioned shoes that you feel like these barefoot shoes actually like solved? Yeah. Wearing shoes hurt me. Okay. Um, that was again, every foot injury I've had has been from wearing shoes. I've never been injured. I walk barefoot in the snow a lot, like to build resilience and I've never had any injury from that. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I, so I guess backtracking a bit, I broke my right foot in half when I was, uh, in fifth grade, break in half. I had a benign tumor that grew to 25 times the size and then basically split my bone right in half. And I had been playing football on it and like trying to tough it out. And I was getting these weird bruises. And my coach is like, it's because you wear poor man's shoes and you need more expensive shoes. Your shoes are hand-me-downs. And I'm like, got it. Okay, whatever. (laughs) So he's like, get back in there, kid. And played another year and then just kind of like broke down. I was like, this, something is wrong and it's not my shoes or it's not just the shoes. So he they finally looked at it and i had a foot that was broken in half and after that i came back and you know played sports growing up and then it wasn't until i really wanted to become a runner that i was curious like why am i always in pain when i'm running why does running hurt so much like our ancestors have been doing this for so long shouldn't be a problem yeah and then i stripped down the footwear i started wearing really minimalist footwear and my gait changed i started you know running more on the ball of my feet and less on the heel heel. and when i was hitting my heel what was happening is that was basically a shock into my knee and lower back which Mm -hmm. was causing a lot of problems and once i started wearing minimalist footwear all that would happen is my calves would be sore. Like my mm-hmm. muscles would be sore. And I'm like, oh, this, I want my muscles yeah, to be like sore. like forced to, to run the proper way. Yeah. Using my muscle tissue rather than slamming my bones Joints together. Yeah. Uh, so that was, that was a big part of it. I recently was uh, wearing boots that were non-minimalist. And yeah. I unexpectedly got asked to go do snowshoeing. And I never had done that really. And that was how I hurt my feet was yeah. snowshoeing and like maximalist boots. <laughs> so I'm back to no footwear and yeah. I'm basically, I'm going to try to basically wear no shoes going forward. Uh, I think my big goal, this is kind of far out. I haven't talked about this much. So uh, here you go. I would like to do a barefoot walk that is 500 miles uh it's the colorado trail yeah, it's like yeah. ninety thousand feet of vertical gain and i want to do it all barefoot so if you do that or, or in the times you have ran completely barefoot is there any protection for your feet or how do you handle i mean again maybe i'm speaking like i'm making up inconveniences or obstacles that you would have and that aren't actually apparent but what have you experienced you know do you cut your foot you have any issue with with landing on specifically specifically with the trail too, you know any rocks or roots what is your experience with that so i've done a couple like decently far treks uh, i did like a 50 mile trek barefoot and a lot of that that was all mountains uh what i find is i'm actually faster uphill than i am with shoes on so if i'm barefoot i i go faster uphill because i don't have the weight and there's grip more well, because uphill, you're on the pads of your feet. Anyway, yeah. And you're just, like, bouncing on rocks and roots, and you're really dialed in. Like, you are more connected than any yeah, run you've ever been on. Yeah, you're yeah. feeling everything, every little rock you're feeling. 
the hardest part is going downhill because you can't stay on the balls of your feet going you downhill. Slow down as much too. So you're kind yeah. of doing this soft dance. Yeah. And I will say going downhill is extremely hard. I did a mountain here with my mom and like we, you know, always like to find ways to even the pace. Uh-huh. Um, and so like I'll do it barefoot or with a ruck. And so I did it barefoot and it was brutal coming down the mountain. <laughs> and yeah, that's just one of the things that I'll have to get used to, I guess, if I do 500 miles, the plan would be to do roughly do it in a month, continuous sleeping outside every night. So that would be running 20 miles a day barefoot. Yeah. Cause I was going to ask you, you're going to like run, I assume like run the majority that you can and then just mix in. Yeah. Some power hikes and walks as necessary. Yeah, like exactly. Run too. the flats, you know, yeah. power hike the ups and then the downs will be slow. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I don't want it to be when I think about this project and this goes back to what you were saying about like ultras. Ultras give people this uh, this feeling of comfort and allows them to act like a child. Yeah. That is why I think ultras are growing and uh, sanctioned outdoor activities are growing because yeah. we are allowing ourselves to act like we did when we were kids, which is go in the backyard, run around, mm-hmm. look at trees, and it's all sanctioned in the name yeah. of something that – makes it feel like a worthy endeavor and it's it's less so road races are kind of everyone's focused on their time everyone's focused on like go 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 it is typically in a, in a less beautiful you know landscape um, although some can be cooler and to your point it is like most ultras are a lot more laid back the people are a lot more fun and i think you know nobody's asking oh what was your finish time you know they're just asking like oh what race did you do what did you think what 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 uh what problems came up and mm-hmm. it's a lot of i feel like intuitive training a lot of innovation a lot of making it up as you go yeah and it's almost an entirely different sport yeah and it's more like play yes you know you're you're when you're on the trails and you're jumping over a log and then you're dodging left and then there's an animal and then it's like it's play it is versus rail running or road Road, running you're just like bam 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 over over just trying to yeah faster mentally trying to stay in it versus you know more of a playful mindset trail trail running to your point even you know even with shoes as you mentioned with the trail you're very engaged with what's going on not only do you have to be aware of your surroundings but there is up down turn switch back there's a lot of roots you had to jump before like you mentioned you're jumping over something and to me that not only is more exciting but it it, it is less a lot less boring right (laughs) you get a lot more uh a lot more enjoyment and fulfillment out of doing that and a lot of times the reward is, you know, you're running up a hill or a mountain, you get to the top, you're like, man, that's a pretty view. And like you earned it. You know what I mean? Sure. And I'm not saying, I guess I should lay this out. No I'm not saying don't, yeah, yeah, no shoes, no road running. You know, I like all that yeah. stuff. And I also do that stuff. I road yeah. run. I do, you know, high rocks races where I'm wearing, you know, cushioned shoes. Yeah. I think there's a time and place for all that. But I think, uh, I, I, yeah, I just think there's a time and place for everything. Yeah. So, yeah, just, it doesn't have to be black or white. Um, yeah, and people think that oh, you're a primitive survivalist. You you hate technology. You hate you hate everything that's yeah. not a tree. And yeah. It's like no, no. I, I have yeah. a podcast, and we have like real cameras. Yeah. Like they're not <laughs> you're not cranking it. Like it's a real yeah. camera. Yeah, I don't write on um you know bamboo sheets or or things of that nature. Write scripts next to <laughs> a fire with a feather. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. So shifting things back to actual su- survival and preparedness. Uh, you know, what are what are some things or some basic I feel like skills that people should have that you know or even you could connect it to advice as far as safety or awareness because mm. I don't run on too many trails that are you know uh, often that there's often bears or mountain lions on so like I don't have to worry about too much but you know different trails you go on especially in Colorado like you need to be aware of your surroundings be aware of uh, you know what's going on. And, I guess, what are your thoughts on, on some basic skills that, that you kind of teach? I mean, you have an upcoming course and things like that. Uh, that's a vague question, but where so, do you want to take it? <laughs> so what what are, what exactly are we looking for? Looking for survival tips while you're out on the trail? Let's go with that. Let's go with that. <laughs> and then we can get into the, like the, okay, like if you had some bear encounters. Okay. That yeah. was like another thing I was wondering. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I think, and you probably know this yourself, 
the greater danger if you're a trail runner is not a bear or a mountain lion it's you being in a certain predicament and getting injured or running into inclement weather yeah so i think yeah one thing is always understanding the weather pattern especially at high elevation understanding how much quicker and more violent weather gets at high elevation for people like us some of what we're doing is, you know, like what they would call sky running, you know, 10,000, 11,000, 12,000, 13,000 yeah. feet up in the air. You're basically in the sky. Yeah. So at that point, you're experiencing weather that shifts. I on had the it on my link uh, of an eye. My 50 miler in Crested Butte out of nowhere, hailstorm and thunder just like immediately shifted in out of nowhere. Thunder within like a quarter mile, like right in front of me pelting me and so yeah i can change very quick yeah very quick as i know that's uh that reminds me of a, a story there's an ultra i did i think you posted about it right they canceled it is this a different one <laughs> no this is that yeah. one yeah the rio grande 100 yeah uh zero finishers uh <laughs> no one's ever finished the race and yeah it was basically we we got to the start line he's like there's no gps i put some flags up you know this is a 105 mile race mm -hmm. he's like there's no gps it doesn't work and nobody's got trackers on and like i tied some ropes and trees and just look for those like granted it's late october in the rocky mountains i went through three hailstorms in yeah. 12 hours on different mountains and we're doing river crossings that are nipple high fast Freedom, water crossings yeah. and it's like 10 degrees outside yeah. and i'm completely alone and i'm like wow i'm glad i'm comfortable doing this but i wonder what everyone else is doing like i wonder if everyone else is safe i really hope they are and i get to aid station uh at mile 55 at four in the morning and i get in there and i was ready to rock like really good attitude and he's like we have 15 missing and unaccounted for there was only 26 racers total yeah. 15 missing unaccounted for he's like you're not you're not going out the race is over he's like i'm getting on my motorcycle to go search search for people was this the first year of the race yeah first okay. year and this guy i mean very old school kind of dude he uh like the start line he corralled us up at this park and then he like dragged his foot backward against the dirt yeah. and he said all right everyone line up here we go i'm surprised this was like sanctioned or something like that Dude, it, it was... reminds me of um you know labs with his barkley marathons a lot of people were comparing it to that but yeah honestly probably even less organization yeah for sure so i i guess that's a good a good way of putting more direction my question would be okay for for the for the generic trail runner like myself or for somebody just going on more general hikes you know, as you mentioned, things can happen. Your phone can die. You can lose direction. What What are some, I guess, things people should keep on them, um, or or steps that they should take to to make sure they're not screwed, basically? <laughs> yeah. And as any answer, I'd probably say it it, it depends. depends yeah. But uh, <laughs> I can try and give you like some rough guidelines of yeah. things that I like to think about. Ultimately, everything's going to be a trade off, right? Between like the weight inconvenience and how much protection it actually serves to you. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I will bring with me on higher mountain hikes is an emergency blanket. Yeah, and I that's rarely what I was thinking about, especially with the, the cold. I rarely bring it for myself, but I do bring it uh, mostly for other people that are more susceptible to the cold. I right now in my life, I'm pretty resilient to the cold pretty cold adapted mm -hmm. but a lot of hikers come here from out of state yeah. and they get at high elevation suddenly they're dizzy they stop moving and they're full of sweat and instantly you have a hypothermic situation there and mm -hmm. that's where just being the guy on the trail that has you know you can fit it in this pocket right mm -hmm. here it's a tiny little piece of tinfoil basically yeah. that you just wrap up on someone yeah so i think emergency blankets are worth their weight in gold uh, I think whistles are trash. A lot of people are really big on whistles. I don't understand them. If it's on your backpack, great. But yeah. like, I don't, I don't understand the whistle thing. I don't feel like thing. anyone's really gonna hear that. High frequencies do travel further than yeah. a lower grade yell. Yeah. But honestly, at this point, this day and age, I think and someone would just better be like, ideas. oh, what's that noise? <laughs> you know, they wouldn't be like, oh, someone needs me. Yeah. What question I would have because I thought about picking up, you know, a good. You know, knife to carry with me on my vest just in the event of well very various things but one thing i think about it if there is like i'm not gonna fight off a bear with a knife but a mountain lion maybe i can at least gouge an eye and try and stay alive in some shape or fashion is that a realistic scenario because i feel like i've heard that i mean i know the proper ways and maybe you can walk through these and explain them of how to handle you know a bear encounter or a mountain lion mm -hmm. because those are two very different animals and, and ways that they're gonna react to you um but i feel like bear spray and things like that I've heard are are not great solutions or not as practical. 
Yeah, so uh, I guess first I'll approach the knife thing. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I'm very pro run with a knife, and yeah. I'm not telling everyone to go get a knife and run with it on you. Yeah. I like to run with a knife, and that is all of this stuff I say is like things that you I do. I'm yeah. not. I'm not saying Disclaimer. this is this is not what He's everyone not should do. Liable. I'm not an expert. <laughs> this is just what I do. I like, uh, so, so sometimes I'll just put the knife right on my yep. waist. Eric yeah. loves to make fun of me on trail runs because I'll run with a knife and he'll be like, what are you going to do, skin some fish? Yeah. But for me, it does a couple things. One, it's a very useful tool. I'm often either foraging while I'm running or, yeah. you know, there's a host of different natural resources that I'm always looking to collect and it helps with that. Yeah. It gives me peace of mind. While you say, yeah, you, I couldn't find off a bear with a knife, it's actually historically what people did yeah. um so a people lot of the pioneers high. they would have dogs and big bowie knives and they would fight there's a lot of stories and journals and accounts of people fighting off bears with knives yeah not saying it was always successful or that <laughs> you should give this a go <laughs> these successful ones live to tell the tale <laughs> but in tandem with yeah. you know dogs during a hunting trip it is better protection than not having it nothing yeah and sure. with a bear it is important to stand your ground you yeah know, look big don't you know run and cower and act scared yeah. it's a lot about the energy that you're putting off noise right too yeah noise yeah. can be a good use a lot of times i think the noise uh, gets misconstrued. I think the biggest thing with the noise is to make sure that you're not sneaking up on the bear. So yeah, yeah, typically that. when that's going to happen with a running situation, and I've had this happen multiple times, is turning a corner or mm -hmm. cresting a hill. So sometimes it's good to like be a little bit louder when I'm going up over the yeah. hill. Or uh, some music. Yeah, I'm cresting sure you know. somewhere. Maybe I'll make my feet a little bit louder. You just really want to make sure that you're not sneaking up on the bear. Yeah, because then that would get more defensive. Exactly. And a mountain lion, you actually want to throw things, right? Like kind of present a, a danger to them so that they aren't, because otherwise they'll stalk you, right? Yeah, it depends. Mountain lions, like all of it, it depends. It all depends. <laughs> they, they they will stalk people, and yeah. there's a lot of stories of uh, mountain lions like jumping on bikers, especially mm -hmm. here in Colorado, which is a scary thing. Uh, mountain lions, I think it's a little bit less in the human's control whether or not that thing is going to attack you. Uh, showing some force with a, a firearm or a rock or something yeah. like that can scare you them see away. That video, I think Joe Rogan posted like months ago, but yeah, a guy like had his, his firearm out. And he popped some, it was only once he finally fired some shots. I think the loud noise like scared it and like ran off. But, yeah. Firearm yeah. or a loud rock. A lot of times I've seen those, those yeah. work. I've had, I just had a, a encounter with a mountain lion the other day and you know, I guess this is like the bush hippie with me. Like I, you made friends with it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just felt like there was a, a mutual respect given. Yeah. So we were coming down this uh, this canyon, and it had just flash flooded, so everything had been wiped out. Which for me, I'm kind of, you know, ABT. Always be tracking. I'm always mm -hmm. looking for prints and just trying to figure out what's going on in the forest. And so I'm looking down. And there's some big mountain lion tracks in this mud, and I know that they have to be fresh because everything was wiped clean by this flash flood. And I was with a group of really awesome survivalists, and we're walking down this trail, and then look up, we all stop, and it's just a mountain lion. We're just sitting there like, wow, this is incredible. And he turns towards us, kind of quarters to, and then quarters away, stops for a minute, looks at us, and then he turned and there's all these drainages down into this canyon and he just bounced up into a drainage i mean like it's got to be six or eight feet tall and they look like it's they're stepping up a six inch step the way they can bounce like the size of like a great dane bigger i mean obviously yeah there, there's a lot of interesting uh stuff i've been reading about the size of cats and there's this thing people always say oh it's a 200 pound cat right they say that about mountain lions mm -hmm. frequently that's like the mark of a big mountain lion but from what I've been able to tell from mountain lion trackers and scientists, biologists, it's hard for a mountain lion to hit 200 pounds unless they're gorged, which means because mountain lions, like a lot of those predatory animals, will eat a ton of food at once and they'll weigh a lot mm -hmm. more and then they'll move and they'll weigh a lot less. But yeah. typically, I think they're more in like the 150 pound range. Okay. One thing I want to dig into before we get to uh, some of the fitness and the, and the wild trials that you're doing recently is uh, carving at your bow. I thought that was a really unique thing, and you have it pinned on your profile, so I assume it means something to you. Is uh, you know, what made you want to carve out, design your own bow? What was that process like, and what does it mean to make something by hand like that? What does that mean to you? Yeah, that's a great question. So, 
one of my friends, uh, he's also a mentor of mine in many ways. His name's Corey Hawk, and I got to make that at his house. He's like a total expert when it comes to uh, it's what what they call a bowyer. That's someone who makes okay. bows. Uh, and when I say expert, I don't mean it lightly. Like this guy knows the craft better than anybody else. He's dedicated, uh, basically his life to it. Um, and him and I, uh, we've got to go hunting quite a bit together with our bows. So he, yeah, he has taught me a lot when it comes to making bows. I was on this exploration, my own, uh, all by myself for many years, just going in the woods cutting down a sapling where there was overpopulated trees. I would mm. take one out to allow more growth and just try to make bows out of it and try to make arrows. And they were very rough. And there was some improvement over time, but you know, it was still shabby. Still it was DIY. still, still rough. Yeah. And I really wanted to get to the point where I was making hunting grade bows and arrows. And so I went to his place and yeah, we spent a week together and made bows and went hunting and that's what that video particular is from mm-hmm. uh, working on another bow right now um, really like to make my bows out of a wood called osage orange have you ever seen like those green monkey balls that fall from trees maybe back in virginia maybe that's an osage orange tree and they've been used for you know thousands of years to make bows they have a odd combination of uh, so a bow has to bend both ways, um, yeah. and they can they can do that. Uh, so compression and then flexion, I think they call it. So Osage is one of the few bow woods that's extremely good at being strong in both of those points of the the arrow shot. Mm-hmm. So yeah, made a Osage bow, and I think generally with your question. Anything that I make by hand has a greater significance to me, whether it's yeah. a bow or uh, even, I mean, handmade stuff like that uh, table behind you. My brother made that. We were here just messing around, yeah. and he put that together. And anything, even these, like well, I cut these in the <laughs> shop in one second, but yeah. I like them more than anything in the store because I made it. Yeah, something. I, there is something special, and I, I'm not going to be able to articulate it, but something special about making something by hand versus you know, buying something mm-hmm. or being – you know, created by a machine. And I mean, I experienced this, I mean, what did you say? I was going to say, this is another good example. This, uh, this necklace, I'm actually, I've got four more of these that I'm making because a bunch of people, I made a video of one of these making this. It's basically this, I found this head of a deer while I was on a walkabout. So it's bone? Uh, It's antler. Antler, okay. So it was a month long walkabout just in the woods and found this antler and carried it for 80 miles before I, got to a place where i could cut it hollowed out yeah so okay yeah exactly so i basically i take a pick and i i knock out the middle of it Mm -hmm. and then it's all made by hand and kind of just sand the middle and outside so yeah to your point it's kind of like uh you know i was telling you how moving into our house and getting adjusted in colorado it it was fun for me to kind of i have like no experience with diy and like you know woodcraft and all these different things and even when i owned our gym i I shift a lot of that obligation to my dad because he's a big you know as as like most as most men have they have a dad who's a big home depot advocate and uh, always wants to you know build things or test out his tools and have a good excuse to use them and so a lot of things he was putting together for the gym and so this was an experience to where well he's you know on the east coast and i'm in colorado and if i want an accent wall or i want to build this uh what you call it shoe shelf and these different things I, I have to build it by hand and they're not perfect like you said but they don't need to be perfect there's something special about the imperfections of it and the natural things and the uh inconveniences that occur and you have to innovate around them and work around them and, and make things work make things fit and just and i think that's the the beauty of making things by hand it, it, it is probably the imperfections and that's it's a good point earlier you're talking about like why i traded in at least temporarily this nomadic lifestyle to having this place and one of the biggest reasons we got this one besides the location to the outdoors Mm -hmm. was me having my own workshop which Mm -hmm. i'll show you after this it's got everything you need so that you can yeah yeah, you can make crafts you can build whatever you want and i loved living and moving around constantly and exploring new places but i always craved like a spot to work on projects yeah yeah i get that completely and it's it's one thing i've traded off a little bit because at my house i have 
uh, the garage gym, and I don't have any space for. I have like I have a nice toolbox that my dad gifted me and outfitted a lot of things, and I've added a little bit to it that takes up a little bit of a footprint. Uh, but I don't have enough space to really have like a, a workshop, and not that I I would have the the experience or or even desire to to do so yet. But it is nice to it ties back to what you said about being a kid. You know, I was a big yep. I, I don't know if you were a big Lego fan and uh. just building things and you know, oh, I want to I want to go make that and just go into your little workshop like a kid and and seeing what happens, taking wood scraps, see what you can make. There's a lot of excitement in it. And even, you know, I even had to fix our house was newly built, but they, they screwed up something with one of these doors that wasn't closing. And I was excited to uh, to, to fix that. You know, it's amazing. I, I feel like it's it, it's not purely a uh, a masculine thing, but there is this like I feel like natural desire that just excites men to, to go to a, a Home Depot or to, to start, you know, wood making and, and I don't know, just put our hands and get into these like tactile skills. Yeah. And, and women know. too. I find yeah. it, especially in courses where uh, we'll be carving something, whether it's a fire kit or spoons or a yeah. tool to use out there, you put a knife in somebody's hands, teach mm -hmm. them how to use it safely and you let them, you just watch and mm -hmm. that's what my job is just help people play with sticks right mm -hmm. just get out there and play with a stick and carve it into something beautiful and mm -hmm. next thing you know it's completely silent yeah everyone is just so focused on the task at hand they're not worried about social media i was gonna say the or if they fed is, their dog they're just yeah dialed in those are the best things are the things that completely absorb your attention and i think that's what probably running does for you is the same it does for me is it absolves me like when you're running you can't you can't look at your phone you can't pull out your phone i mean you might throw a little clip up but for the most part you have to be fully in tune with your surroundings everything that you're doing you're away from it and it fully absorbs your attention and i think that's the the beauty in it because we are a lot of times so distracted on so many different you know jobs we got to do to do's and tasks and the more we can fully isolate our thoughts and fixate it on one specific thing it, i don't know it's a nice release is, is i guess what i would say about it yeah. yeah but transitioning to one thing that you started pretty recently that i think is really fascinating and everybody seems to love it too so i'm happy to see it thrive is uh these wild trials so mm -hmm. explain what they are um and what they've been so far and what, what you would like them to be yeah, that's a good question. Uh, similar to the podcast, it's something that was just done on a whim. So like the podcast, uh, Who the Wild Things Are, it was the pandemic and we're like, God, everyone seems sad. What do we do? Maybe I should do an Instagram live with like my friends and like tell them about the outdoors. And that became the podcast. Mm -hmm. Wild Trials became the same thing. I just like, I hurt my foot and I couldn't run like in the traditional sense. So all of my training, that board up there is all the races I have planned for this year, personal challenges, all of it out the window instantly. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I can't do that stuff. I'm going to start asking people to challenge me to do crazy things and see if I can do them. And in that born was wild trials. Mm -hmm. Uh, so far, um, let's see. So the, the first crawl, one, right? well, the first one was the bike. I'm not a road biker, but, uh, someone challenged me to ride a hundred miles. So oh, I did see that. Yeah. I've borrowed my mom's bicycle and a bunch of like random things. Somebody gave me a helmet. Somebody gave me glasses <laughs> and like, a I just shift rider. I, yeah, yeah. Just like the most ghetto thing you've ever seen in your life. Yeah. And I just like pedaled away. I didn't, I, that was how I learned about bike shorts. Uh -huh. I didn't know that there was oh, padded there shorts. Th yes. Yeah. No one told me. Your ass must've hurt. Dude, I was in <laughs> so much pain. I'm like, this is the worst sport ever. Yeah. And people are like, yo, like what kind of bike shorts do you have? I'm like, <laughs> You know, the ones I run in? Like what? Yeah. I'm like, I'm just running yeah. in. A friend of mine is, is like semi into cycling as well. And yeah, he's been coming from lifting. He's, he's, he took that meathead mentality and just took it into cycling where he was like using shaker bottles for for like cyclist bottles and then didn't have biking shorts and yeah, all these things. So yeah, it humors me. <laughs> yeah. That was actually kind of crazy because uh, it was in February in Colorado. So it was freezing. And six miles in, I'm riding. I'm like, this is going to be a good day. I'm just going to take my time, ride my bike, have fun. Six miles in, I go across this wet patch. It's black ice. Bike goes flying. Ooh. I smash my elbow into the ground. Bike smashes. It hit the ice so hard that it, like, cracked through the ice. Yeah. And I just, like, yard sale all of my stuff everywhere. And I'm six miles into 100. And I'm like, instantly, do I quit? Is this stupid? Should I be done with this? And then I'm like, no. 
I'm going to laugh this off. I'm going to get back up, and I'm going to ride 94 miles, that, and we're going to figure it out. That shows a really different perspective that um, you know, really few people have is, yeah, when things are just not going your way, I almost find that it gives me a release. Like even this morning, it's been four weeks in a row. It's snowed somewhat heavy the day before my long run. And because I'm too stubborn to push my runoff later in the day because I just want to get it done first thing in the morning, I like doing that. I end up running through it, and I almost find, and this is how I was when there was the hailstorm in my 50 mile ultra, was when things like seriously go like out, you know, become a big nuisance or, or completely don't go my way, it almost releases like the stress or pressure from me. And I'm just like, well, the worst could happen fuck it like i'm just gonna like make do and i almost feel like if you can have that perspective and you're able to overcome a stupid you know slip and fall in the first six miles um you're almost like okay well the worst is behind me yeah i thought it was and then (laughs) well the whole day was great and then it got really cold the sun went down and i had like you know 15 miles left and I'm basically, I go to, the, so part of the challenge is to do it on a loop, which yeah. is miserable because you're, you're same biking the same over thing over, yeah. all day, all day long. And that was part of the challenge. So I tried to honor that. And then at the end, I was like, I'm not going to be able to finish this. So I start going back and forth, trying to lap this fastest part yeah. to get the mileage. And the sun goes down. It's probably like 10 degrees out. You know, I don't have any winter clothes on. I'm in like biking mm-hmm. shorts and you know, whatever. And then I'm like, Oh, I got a bike. I was actually biking to Eric's house to finish. Mm-hmm. That's where I was going to finish and have dinner. Yeah. And that's up a mountain from where I was. Mm-hmm. So I had to bike maybe another thousand feet uphill. Mm-hmm. I had no light on my bike. There's cars on the streets. Zoom like it's by, super yeah. busy. I had no light and I'm freezing cold. And now all of that ice that had melted during the day is now frozen again. So I'm biking across these ice patches, Mm -hmm. just like, please don't fall again. Please don't fall. I get there. I show up at Eric's door and I look at the the tracker and I'm nine miles short and I'm like, Oh my God. So I saw you finished on the bike. Yeah. Yeah. So I got in there and we were just like, you know, had a good dinner. Mm -hmm. I didn't let it ruin it. And then I was like, well, when I go home, I'll, I'll finish on the assault bike and get nine Mm -hmm. more miles. So that was the first one, the first wild trial. And the second one was uh, Mount Morrison. Yeah, bear crawling it. Yeah, so that was interesting. I've never bear crawled anything like that before. So I assumed you were going to, and I guess I I didn't know you well enough, I guess, but I I assumed you were going to wear some kind of hand protection. Um, But as we've learned through this podcast, screw that. (laughs) This ain't no pussy shit. So you went went right at it and your hands suffered, did they not? Yeah, (laughs) so... People told me to wear gloves, and I thought about it. Like, we actually brought gloves. Oh, really? Yeah. And, you know, in normal fashion, I started, like, you know, going. And this is Mount Morrison, so it's basically, like, the steepest trail yeah. around here. Uh, a lot of really good runners is train the one Eric there. always does? Yeah, we do it a yeah, lot so together. Yeah, so that's the one I've done, I think. I did it yeah, you, I you would know if it was the one that you were out of breath the whole time, and you never could enjoy it because it was so yes. steep. It's like six miles up? No, that was Mount Falcon. Oh, that's right. We did Mount Falcon. So okay, this yeah, yeah, is, yeah. compared to Mount Falcon. I've seen him do it, though. It's like 2,000 feet. Yeah, 2,000 yeah, feet, but up. in 1.7 miles. Yeah. I think Mount Falcon is 2,000 feet, but in six miles. That's right, yeah. So you basically go straight up. Yeah, or it's like three miles, but six to Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, anyways, started going. I thought about wearing the the gloves, <laughs> and then I just decided that was cheating. Like <laughs> Halfway up, Lauren's like, are you going to wear gloves? I'm like, no, that's cheating. My yeah. mind was made up for me. Yeah. So there was a lot of snow and ice. And that was really like the hardest thing was just overcoming the, the pain of my hands. Yeah, It wasn't too bad physically. The other thing that surprised me was going uphill, bear crawling. So trying to get your hands down on the ground, you're like constantly stretching your hamstrings and glutes. So it was really like a mobility exercise. Imagine being in down dog for two hours. That well, was that, basically that was, what it was that like. Was, that's what scares me about bear crawling is, or scares in the right word. What I worry about is the like stress on like the lower back and the glutes. It's not like, you know, the, I'm not worried about the cardio. It's not like a fast or cardio intensive thing, at least, you know, initially. It's more, yeah, that mobility I feel like I would suffer in. Yeah, but it, there was something really beautiful about it. it yeah. You know, I was very connected to the ground below me. I was like noticing all these little bugs and 
all of the tracks were making a lot of sense to me as I'm walking up. I'm like kind of miserable, but at the same time, I'm like, oh, this is really cool. I've never yeah. noticed that plant before. Oh, this is really cool. Look mm-hmm. at that weird bug. Like a heightened awareness. Because you're never like staring six inches away from the ground when you're on a hike. You're mm-hmm. looking at trees. You're looking at the sky and the beautiful mountains. But that was just a whole new perspective that I've never seen. Just staring. I was like memorizing the people's footprints in front of me. I'm like, yeah. oh, I know that guy. He just went <laughs> past us. That's the guy with the X's. And yeah. like, you know, all these weird little in, in, intricacies yeah. of yeah. looking at the ground. So with the wild trials, you know, and you, you, you can touch on if you get some more wild ones. I know you threw up a, a question box recently, but the way I, I view it, and maybe you could you could say, hey, you're like spot on with this, is it seems like to me these are a way to kind of push your limits and find ways to fulfill your own curiosity rather than the traditional sense of doing a race for a medal or doing you know a, a competition to post it on Instagram. Mm-hmm. It's more to find out you know where you're at and for the experience like one thing when i was signing up for my 50 miler um which i fought tooth and nail to finish um was i thought about doing the 50k because i had never done like a formal ultra i'd done like a 50k kind of like on my own but it was like miserable it was stupid and i thought about doing the 50k and and or the 55k and i was like like, well this is a safer option I'll, i'll definitely finish it but then i was like well the 50 miler is what i should sign up for because it's the uncertainty and the unknown that excites me. It's like, I'm not signing up for a race to guarantee a finish or to guarantee a picture on Instagram, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not doing it for like the finish, but I'm doing it for the journey is like how I how I was viewing it. And I think that's how I'm guessing your perspective is with these challenges. It's like, okay, where can these take me versus just uh, trying to do them to, to kind of show off or, or do a race in a more formal setting? Yeah, I think a big part of it, I mean, again, this was driven by injury. I was training yeah. very hard for high rocks and started to become competitive in that in that landscape. And then, you know, the injury kind of snapped me out of it. And it was like, you know, why are you doing this? What's, yeah. what's the focus? And ultimately, it's to enjoy it and get outside as much as possible, which was hard with high rocks. So I really wanted to focus on enjoying the outdoors as much as possible and that's sort of what it's become is just like really fun challenges i think a lot of people see bear crawl up to the top of the mountain and they think oh Mm -hmm. my god that looks miserable Miserable. or wear a 30 pound ruck and bike up the mountain Mm -hmm. i would never do that but maybe that's not yours maybe yours is a a different version of it and Mm -hmm. hopefully people see this and they're like oh maybe i'll do my version of that or maybe i'll i'll try something hard i think it's it's important for us to push ourselves while we can Mm -hmm. and not take it for granted i think there's a a lot of like even like the the colorado trail thing like i put that stuff out into the universe to help push myself to do it yeah like when i talk about something like that that sounds absolutely ludicrous yeah the reason i would talk about it on a podcast is because like oh i told brock and his listeners now i gotta go do it i i'm the same way i always feel like when you can put something out in the ethos when you can make this very verbal uh social proclamation that you're going to do something mm-hmm. it's like a signed pact a signed commitment that now you have to do it and i like that and I, i've been that way too with races or different things it's like i'm very traditional too in a way that i think your word and your integrity is very important and i think if you say something you need to do it yep. and I, you know i think you feel that same way and i like that you have that same uh, social, you like putting that same social pressure on yourself. Yeah. And and this is fun too, because then I'm almost like a, a video game character now that people get to control and like mm-hmm. put through weird yeah, things. Like it's like, mean, I'll yeah. be your GTA character yeah. or your whatever the role playing games are. And you can, you know, put something in, write something in a box that sounds yeah. ridiculous in your head. And, you know, I I'll, thought about sending you some, some wild ones like, you know, walking lunges up the mountain or i don't know something crazy so so this weekend is a walking lunges one. Oh, it is yeah yeah, yeah. what uh, is it so the challenge was one mile of walking lunges um yeah, which doable. which i think is too easy, too easy yeah. so i think i'm either gonna carry somebody or carry like a like a log like a treat like on mm-hmm. my back uh just try and find something heavy and then because it's an easier one uh make it hard 
for me and then like also try and bring some friends in mm-hmm. I'm going to visit friends that i haven't seen in a long time and i'm like you guys could do a mile of lunges like come on let's do it together <laughs> make it like a group yeah community effort I yeah like because that. like no one's gonna bear crawl up mount morrison with me but like lunges yeah, it's like it's yeah. a pretty accessible thing and not everyone has to do a mile maybe you mm-hmm. do a uh, hundred yards or maybe somebody else does a quarter mile mm-hmm. you know then we could all do it together and it could be i don't know fun yeah, little experience i think yeah anytime you can get more people involved it, it enriches everybody's life and it makes you uh less miserable during it right yeah it makes you less <laughs> miserable and also you pull someone into that and they're like oh okay i'll commit to doing you tw- become you I'll become do- their excuse to push themselves exactly the i'll do 20 yeah. lunges or i'll do i'll do 50 lunges yeah. and then next thing you know they've been lunging next to you for a half hour and they're on four thousand lunges it. yeah so i yeah. think it's sometimes you just need an excuse to get out there yeah well we touched on it kind of but what, what are the, the next kind of big goals that you have for yourself, for your brand? Because, um, again, I've only known you for a relatively short period of time. But I guess where where is the brand of, of was it Ride or is it Wild Ride, Ride Wild Outdoors? Wild Ride Outdoors. Okay, there you go. What, what is, what's the current state of it? Where would you like it to be? And I guess what are your current ambitious kind of goals for, for brand, for I mean, you touched on a little bit the athletic side of things, but run with it however you'd like. I don't really have any goals other than to do exactly what I'm doing. Where your heart's Spend desire. Spend a lot of time outside, um, yeah, as much time in nature as possible, yeah. and move my body and push my physical limits. I think that's sort of where I'm at right now, and I want to keep doing that for the foreseeable future. Is long-term goal to own a property with more acreage? Yeah, absolutely. Buying land is a a big uh, goal of mine, and it's something that I look at every day. It's very hard for me because I don't have a lot of money. It's expensive in Colorado. It's expensive. Well, for me, it's it's, expensive everywhere. It is expensive (laughs) everywhere, but I would say, like, just my own, like, personal looking, you know, I've seen, you know, different properties that's relatively close states whether it's like utah or kansas or obviously you know texas it's it seems like on instagram you'll see like a massive mansion and they're like buy this for 200 grand and you're like what the shit like yeah. what am i paying for in colorado yeah. um but uh no i yeah I, I think owning acreage just offers a lot of possibilities and it, it seemed like for you it would be just you know spot on and, and coincide with your vision for your your daily life your behaviors your lifestyle all of that yeah, growing up, we had uh, a little piece of land. It was 12 acres, and yeah. we were just free out there. Yeah. And we would just go fishing every day. We'd go hang out in the woods and, mm-hmm. you know, ride around, hang out. And there was no more free time than that, sitting around the fire pit and just hanging out with friends outside. So mm-hmm. I think in any capacity, being in nature is great. Right now, I'm luckily, you know, while, enough, I, yeah. while I want private land, I have amazing public land mm-hmm. all around me, and, and that's my beautiful resource at the moment hopefully yeah. one day i'll be rich enough to afford some private acreage but mm-hmm. i'm not counting on that right now and I, honestly it's not like my number one focus my number yeah. one focus is spreading positivity and you know a message that the outdoors and and personal well-being is a worthwhile effort yeah i like that one last question i almost forgot to ask you was uh you know it kind of ties back to like the liver you had me eat uh you liked that, didn't you? I liked it. I yeah. liked it. It was a good surprise. Uh, with, uh, <laughs> with, you know, meat, and we're talking about nature, we're talking about the bow, uh, do you currently or would you like to get more into hunting your own game and, and getting more, you know, meat that you've, you've killed yourself and, and uh, yeah, cook? So it's kind of all in-house, you know, or you don't hire – or what did, uh, I don't know if you know, f- familiar with Cam Haynes, as he calls, like, the grocery store, like, hiring, like, the hitman uh, for your, your meat. Yeah. Uh, so I personally believe in being in close connection with the meat that I eat. Yeah. Uh, currently it's not all wild yeah. game while some of it is, uh, I do, uh, hunt and fish and, you know, try to eat as much game that I catch as possible, but mm-hmm. I'm not at a point where I'm fully sustained. Yeah. Uh, and so for that, I'm currently relying on local family farms. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, uh, Carter country meats is a mm-hmm. company I've been working with. They're, uh, regenerative agriculture uh, farm up in Wyoming, so not far from here. They're also building out a Denver presence, and their meat is tremendous, and I know where it's coming from. I actually was on the phone with, or texting with RC last night, mm-hmm. and uh, it was really cold last night. It was negative eight 
and the night before i think it was negative four and they lost five calves uh mm. in the cold weather and you know i've been closely involved with you know I've, I've done a lot of butchering and uh had to take a lot of animals lives myself and i know what that feels like and i know what it feels like to lose animals and i reached out to him just you know let me know if there's anything i can do to, mm. to help with that and he had this amazing response that was something along the lines of yeah it's tough but i feel very blessed to be this close to the life cycle of nature mm -hmm. and i thought that was a really good way of putting it, it was well Yes, it's very hard to go through those things, but it's a very good place to be. Shapes your perspective, I'm sure. Yeah, you have a lot better understanding of what it means to have that meat on your table mm -hmm. or that liver, which, yeah. I mean, comes from uh, that one actually is from our friend Brian. Uh, he works at Western Daughters, so that's local uh, beef liver from yeah. the farms here. Yeah. Well, just like we talked about with making things by hand, it's the same if you grow tomatoes in your garden or if you kill your own wild game and you know, you definitely have a bigger appreciation for what it took to to get that, what that life meant. Um, it's like this whole proper, even we, shoot, even the coffee we drink, you know, the effort. I didn't put the best effort into this. We're making shit, making uh, uh, what we can with, you know, a little makeshift station with what you had available. But even with the coffee, right, uh, you know, the, the extra steps I do, like in a day where we can just pop a little cup in there, make coffee instantly with Keurig, there's something special, peaceful, and it brings a sense of presence when I'm getting the the beans fresh from you know a local family farm in Guatemala. It's coming to a small town roaster that's I'm supporting that business by buying the beans from them. I'm grinding them myself. I'm putting them into the, the pour over. It, it's this like entire process rather than just clicking a button. And it definitely gives you a different appreciation for drinking that cup. You get a better cup just as you get better meat. But it, it's not just that, but it's also you, you almost enjoy it and have a different perspective while you're, you're sipping or you're eating uh, once you, you take into consideration all those factors. I think there's another great example uh, in fire. Yeah. You know, the fire is enjoyed and we all enjoy some level of fire now a lot of it's electric or you know these different fancy cookers in the yeah. kitchen but when you take someone out in the bush and you have them harvest from a plant two pieces of wood you teach them how to carve that into a fire set and then from two pieces of wood they generate a coal which then they put on dry grass and blow into a fire and then cook their wild game on that fire there's this moment of completely being satiated yeah. by a fire that you made and their eyes a special feeling it is the most incredible thing and that <laughs> is what drives me to want to continue to do these courses and yeah. when you ask like what else do you want to do i'm like that's kind of that's kind of it yeah. that's that's good enough for me yeah no i think i think it's important to have that that feeling of of content and knowing you know it, it doesn't have to be like more or anything different than what it is you know i think just appreciation and and becoming more deep involved into it can be its own reward that's yeah its own goal absolutely it's dangerous to always like have something that you know i want to keep building reach. keep making bigger yeah. and sometimes if we're able to and i struggle with this as much as anyone yeah just look at wow five years ago this is exactly what yeah. i wanted and i have it this is everything yeah. here i well, i've got you got the podcast i've got you know i've been running a lot and spending oh, time outdoors yeah. this is it this is what i that's this is that's what I where i'm at now a lot is uh you know i mean when i was growing up it was like a huge dream to own a gym then i owned a gym and i would oftentimes you know we had like barely any members in or i was the first one in their opening and i'm just like reflecting like this is it i did it and so it's like but still sometimes as you mentioned we all sometimes feel a little bit not empty but we're like we're still wanting for more and it, it it's really difficult and it's a constant thing you have to work at of of reflecting and and putting things into the proper perspective and proper lens and you know even now you know if i could look at my life and have the the flexibility to come up here and, and connect with you and with others and do the podcast and have conversations and have that financial um, you know freedom or opportunity it would be you know it'd be a dream to me years ago i need to be really thankful and understand my position now you know and try and still have that 
uh, appreciation that I would have had years ago. You know what I mean? Yeah, so exactly. I think you nailed it. Yeah. Just put it, put yourself in the shoes of you five years ago or, or 10 years ago yeah. and, and look at your life with an objective lens. What yeah. was it that I wanted? Okay, these are the things I wanted. Do I have those? And I think for, for both of us, like we have those things. You just have to yeah. remind yourself that this is enough. I am enough. My life is enough. I have everything I need and anything I want. Perfect. Yeah. Dude, where can people find you? Uh, well, you can find me on Instagram. In the woods. <laughs> that, should, that should have been the answer. <laughs> find me in the woods. Um, yeah. <laughs> you can uh, yeah, find What's me your on Instagram? your local trail. Yeah. Uh, my Instagram is Ryan Quinn McGuire, I think. I think there's a dot between each of them, but it'll all be linked in the show I notes. Think, I think there is a dot. Yeah. Uh, I changed it recently because people were getting confused about Wild Ride versus Ryan. Are yeah, they the yeah. same? So. Anyways, that is my Instagram. Uh, the podcast is Who the Wild Things Are. Mm-hmm. There's like a little underscore between those. Yeah. Uh, you can find Who the Wild Things Are on any platform. And it's wild with a Y. Wild, yep. W Y L D. That's important to note. Yeah. And WildRideOutdoors.com has yeah. a lot of information as well. And that's really it. So <laughs> catch me outside. How about that? That's, that's, yeah, that's, that's it. it. Catch me outside. How about that? <laughs> awesome. Well, appreciate it, man. And if you guys enjoyed the podcast, obviously check him out uh, a lot more. Share it with a friend, and I will catch you guys in the next one.